everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals broadcaster, Dave Pash. Our guest this week is first-year Cardinals offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing. Drew's a young guy in his mid-30s, but he's been in the league for a decade. Prior to that, was in the Ivy League at both Harvard and Yale. We'll talk about the experience with those schools. We'll also talk about the influences on his career like Norv Turner. And being a first-year play caller, Drew's still uncertain as to whether he's going to call plays from the field or from the booth. I think I'm going to try both. Kind of flip-flop during preseason to feel where I'm more comfortable, see where our communication as a staff is better, see where my communication with the players is better, and then move forward in that way. We'll also talk with Petzing about what to expect from the offense in terms of how it will look with Colt McCoy as opposed to how it will eventually look with Kyler Murray as the team's quarterback. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Sign up today with BetMGM, the official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Use code CARDS1000 and get back up to $1,000 in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, Arizona only. New customer offer. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, it's time to chat with our guest for this week, Cardinals offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing. First, Coach, give me a sense of how camp's been. Is it what you expected? I know we're recording this in a day where we're in pads and it's the first time we've done this. Yep. But uh, is it what you thought so far? Yeah, I think so. I think it's been a lot of fun. I think these guys have really come in and, and committed themselves to working hard and doing things the way we want, and it's been fun to see that kind of play out on the field. And obviously today, putting on the pads for the first time, I think guys are pretty excited to go play football. Um, and certainly just in terms of getting into the hotel, getting used to the stadium, the travel, the schedule has been new. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's been what we wanted it to be. It's been pretty fun. Take me back to when you got offered the job. Three years in Cleveland, you were in Minnesota prior to that, Cleveland even before then, but obviously yep. the relationship with JG was from Minnesota. When you got the phone call, is it something like you guys had already talked about? Hey, if you get a gig, you know, uh, I'm going to make you my OC. You're going to call plays if I get a job. Uh, I don't think it's anything ever like that. I think it's more the conversations, especially when we were assistants in the same building, of just like, hey, how would you do this? What would you do there? Is this hard on a defense? Is that hard on an offense? Like, if you were going to do it, how would you do it? Uh, so I think you have a lot of those conversations as a young coach because it's fun. You're, you're around guys doing it different ways. You're seeing different systems and things that you like and things that you don't like. So you have a lot of those conversations. And then I think when we kind of went our separate ways there, when JG went to Indy, you just kind of stay in touch. You're playing the same teams. We actually played them uh, that first year when they were in Indy. They came to Cleveland in 2020. So you stay in touch. You, you catch up. You watch football together. You see each other in the off season, And it's kind of one of those things, I think, the year before when he started interviewing, he's like, hey, just be ready to go. Like, have your system. Be ready to interview. Know what you want it to be like. And, and, and you know, you'd certainly be a high on my list of guys I'd want to consider, and I would expect you to be ready. And, I, you know, I would have been ready before he said that, obviously, because it's something you're always hoping to have the opportunity to do. So I think it's, it's more that than it is like, hey, if this happens, sure. we're going. So you get the call. How did the conversation go? Uh, it was, it was exciting. I mean, I was excited for him first, you know, the first call is like, Hey man, I got the job and I'm just like, Hey, that, you know, congratulations. That's obviously a huge opportunity. Something he's worked extremely hard for and really wanted to take advantage of. So was fired up for him. And then I think the next card goes, Hey, here, you know, here are the next steps. Here's kind of the timeline and here's what you need to be ready for. And let's put your best foot forward and see what happens. So when you got into this, 
are, are you a goals guy? Like, do you write things down of this is what I envision for myself, or are you a go with the flow, see what happens? Uh, I think somewhere in between. I don't think I've ever – I don't have a list anywhere of, like, here's what I want to hit, here's when I want to hit it, those type of things. I, you know, I know some people do that. Uh, but I do think when you get into it, I think your first goal, especially mine when I got into coaching, was, like, can I make a living doing this? Like, is this a plausible career path, especially when you're first coming out of college? Uh, and then when it started to look like it might be, I think that's when you start to see the guys that you're around and the quality of life they have and the things they do on the day-to-day and try to identify, hey – what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? And you, I think in the back of your mind, you're always preparing for the next step, but not at the expense of doing the job you have. Are you, what drives you? Is it the X's and O's? Is it the relationships? Is it leading a team? Because every coach is different. And I've seen guys like, for example, Cliff Kingsbury, who I've known for a long time, obviously not just from here, but doing his games uh, going back to A&M, Johnny Manziel's year, or even at Houston. And Cliff, X's and O's was his big thing. Like, dealing with the boosters, that's not what he wanted to do. Yeah. He wanted to coach ball and to think about calling plays. Some guys, you know, they're not as focused on the X's and O's. I mean, it's obviously part of every coaching job, but relationships, yeah. communication, leadership – uh, motivational speaking, a lot of guys, that's their strength. What, what would you say is your strength? What's your passion? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's something that probably changes and tweaks itself over the course of somebody's career and lifetime. Um, you know, I think I, one thing that always resonated with me, and I remember, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it's a video of Brett Favre talking after his career about, you know, his memories and some of his great moments. And, you know, he's sitting there and he's like, one of the things he's like, the, the thing you never forget is like the moments with your teammates, like celebrating with your teammates, being with your teammates. So I do think the relationship part of it is big because I think at the end of the day, the game will move on without us. Um, but I think a lot of those friendships, those relationships, those connections uh, are pretty special. And I think those are what you really remember when you walk away. When I look back at previous places I've been, yeah, I remember a couple games, but I remember the people I work with. I remember the people in the building. I remember some of the emotions and the relationships that were developed. So I do think that's a big part of my passion and, and part of who I am. And I certainly love the X's and O's. I think the scheme aspect of the game, the chess match, uh, the give and take, the back and forth during the course of a game, during the week, the game planning is kind of fun. So I'd say those two are the biggest components. Um, but I think everything you just hit on plays in a little bit. But if I was to narrow it down to two, I'd say the relationships one and the game itself too. Uh- and I want to get more into the X's and O's, but I'm curious because I went to Syracuse, which is widely known as the Harvard of Central New York, <laughs> but you actually were at Harvard and you were at Yale. I, I can't was. imagine that there are many coaches to be at both Harvard and Yale. What was that experience like? And how much did that impact you as a coach? Yeah, I mean, it had a big impact. I mean, it's funny, actually, the, the head coach that brought me to Yale was an assistant at Harvard. Actually went Yale, Harvard, Yale. So he oh. did it multiple times but I would say it is pretty rare was on both sides of the game which was fun um it was my first job out of college so I you know I graduated in 20 2009 and I think I graduated on Sunday I think I walked into a staff meeting on Tuesday morning at Harvard I was unpaid but it was 20 minutes from my house it was an opportunity to get my foot in the door and I hadn't been at football at that level um was very green and uh just I was on defense because that's what I played in college and just like immediately fell in love with it just again the relationships the staff meetings the grind the sport it was it it just it it was so fun and you were getting paid uh and at that point I wasn't I was like wow if I could get paid to do this this would be unbelievable (laughs) um and I think that level was a great you know play d3 ball where 
you know, very few people are going to the NFL. Steve Hauschka obviously came out of Middlebury. Yeah. But other than that, it wasn't like everyone's like, hey, I'm going to graduate from Middlebury and then I'm going to the league. Um, so I think I, you know, my love of the game grew around guys that were in it strictly for the love of the game. There wasn't a monetary component tied to it. And that's very similar in the Ivy League. Like, not that those guys don't go pro, and there's some great pros that have come out of the Ivy League, but a lot of those guys can make more money doing other things. And they play the sport because they love it. Uh, they're very committed to it. They're, you know, obviously very intelligent players. So the level of complexity of the game there is pretty high. And so for me as a young coach to get in there and learn from some great coaches, be around some really committed players, uh, kind of sucked me in. How did you get in with Cleveland then? It, it happened pretty quickly. 2013, if you graduate in 2009, within four years you're in the NFL. There are a lot of guys who they want to get in the NFL. It takes 20 years. Sometimes it never happens. How did you get in as quickly as you did? Yeah, very fortunate. A really right place, right time. So I was at Yale at the time. So I went Harvard for a year. Boston College is a graduate assistant for two, which was right down the road. And then, the, as I talked about, one of the assistants at Harvard got the head job at Yale. I went there uh, and really had no, – like I had not, as you said, setting goals and plans. Like certainly the NFL was there, but I didn't know a lot of people in it. And at that point, I was – you know, it was my first position job. I was recruiting my own areas at Yale, and it was a lot of fun. And I got a call kind of out of the blue uh, from one of the assistant coaches at Cleveland. I think he was an administrator at the time. And he kind of said, hey, we're looking to hire these type of intern positions. You know, I think at the time New England had started them. They were the 20 for 20 jobs. You work 20 hours a day year round and you make like 20 grand. (laughs) I think that was kind of how they sold it. And he's like, is this something you'd be interested in? And it was a – I think it legitimately cut my pay in half. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, where do I sign up? Like, didn't really know how I got in the door at first, but I'm like, did a quick phone interview. They're like, hey, we'll call you back if we're interested. We're, I'm like, okay, and just kind of sat there. And then it kind of started to put the pieces together. So uh, Ben Bloom, who's now the D-line coach at Cleveland, uh, actually grew up in my hometown. So this could be a very long story. I'll try to it's make okay. it It's okay. It's a podcast. Take your time. <laughs> so Ben Bloom was the assistant D-line coach at Harvard when I graduated college. And he was four or five years older than me, grew up in my hometown, kind of loose family friends, didn't know him that well. And when I started networking, coming out of college, I was like, hey, I, you know, I need a job. I want to coach. And he's like, well, the head coach literally just mentioned this unpaid internship at Harvard. He said, if I have a guy, you know, you barely even need to interview if you want to come in and take the job. So got me my, that first job at Harvard. He actually left before I got there um, and took a job with the Browns, with Mangini staff. Worked there, ended up in Dallas. A guy named Dave Borgonzi, who's now the linebackers coach in Chicago, uh, was at Harvard with Ben, stayed and worked with me for a year. So we worked together for a year. I left for BC. He actually went with Ben Bloom to Dallas in that 20 for 20 job in Dallas. And again, the random connections of the NFL show when Rob Chizinski got the head job in Cleveland that year, uh, the president at the time, I believe it was Alex, I'm going to get his name, Alex Shiner, and Alec had come from Dallas. And Chud wanted to hire these positions, but he'd never been in a building that had them. And Alec had just come from Dallas, and they had kind of this program going. So Chud was like, hey, can, can I reach out to Ben and Dave about the program, how much they made, what they did, what it looked like? And I guess when they called these guys, they're like, hey, if you're looking for names, there's a guy at Yale who'd be a great candidate. Give him a call. You might be interested. So that started the process. And then the interview was wild. I actually – my wife, I don't even know if she wants to hear this story again. but So I was – at Yale, it was like a Thursday morning at like 9 a.m. I got a call from Cleveland and said, hey, we want to bring you out for an interview, but there's a massive storm about to hit the Northeast. Like, if we don't get you on an airplane in the next, like, four hours, like, you're not getting out here. And I was like, well, I'm two hours from the airport, so just tell me where I got to go. 
And they're like, are you sure? And my wife, me and my wife were dating at the time. She's long distance. She was like six hours away in Rochester, New York. She was already driving to New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm like, at that point, I was like, yeah, I got to take this job. So I'm like, yeah, like I'll be at the new, what airport and I'll get there. And so he's like, well, if you can get on the plane, you got a flight at like one o'clock. I think it was like 9 a.m. So I like walked into the head coach's office at Yale and I was like, hey, uh, I know you're not going to be happy about this, but I have an interview with the Browns and I need to leave. And if I don't get the job, please don't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so he's like, and he was great about it. He was really supportive. He's like, and he kind of knew, he's like, if you go, you're, you know, he's like, you're probably getting this. I'm like, I don't feel that way, but I'm glad you do. And I'm going to go. So see you later. So I like, I raced home. I threw like one interview book in a bag with like a set of clothes. And I like, it was like a two hour drive to this airport. I had a flight in like three and a half hours. And I call my girlfriend at the time, my wife now on the way. And I'm like, Hey, I know you're driving six hours to come see me for the weekend. Like, I'm going to get on a plane to Cleveland. They said I'd be back tomorrow. Like, we'll have a great weekend. You know, there was a longer conversation, but that was kind of the gist of it. So she's like, great. So I get off for the interview. And basically the interviews, you know, you're going to go through a couple. You meet people on the staff. They'll talk football with you. You do a little work for them. And you go home less than 24 hours. Friday morning flight got canceled. Saturday morning flight got canceled. Sunday morning flight got canceled. At this point, my wife is literally, I think, the snow, I think we got almost four feet of snow in New Haven, Connecticut. So she is, she can't leave my apartment and like, look, I'm not making a ton of money. I'm, you know, she's living with two other people. She doesn't know in an apartment. She can't leave. Um, (laughs) so I didn't earn a lot of points on this one. And, uh, I, so at that point I just was stuck there. So they just kept bringing me back to the facility to do more work. And then I think on Sunday afternoon, they finally got me a flight that left at like 8 PM on Sunday. And like at like 5 PM on Sunday, Chud was like, well, you've worked for us for three days. Like, (laughs) Do you want to just keep going? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, when do I start? And he's like, well, when can you get out of here? And I was like, well, New Haven's a six-hour drive. I could probably put the stuff in my car in two hours. I'm like, I'll leave Monday afternoon. So finally got on a flight Sunday. My wife at that point already had to go back to Rochester, so never saw her. <laughs> they got the snow out of there. She left. I landed Sunday night around midnight, went into Yale. I was like, hey, I took the job with the Browns. Thank you. And I need to pack, and I'm leaving in about five hours to go move to Cleveland. And that was kind of it. So I got there, and I was—I had only been on defense at that point. So like my first day, day on the job, I, you know, Ray Horton was the defensive coordinator. I put his playbook from PowerPoint to Visio, and was talking to the defensive coaches. And then I—I I honestly don't know how it happened. Like Norv Turner was the offensive coordinator, and would just like yell my name down the hallway when he wanted something. And at first, it might be like, you know, something ran like a, a cut up on Exos or like a, a college eval or like hey, you know, call, whatever it might be. And then, like, two weeks later, I was just on offense. Like, n- never really talked about it. Like, Norv just wanted me to do things for him. And by the time I did it for a week or two, I was on offense. And then, obviously, stayed there for the year. And Nor we got let go. Norv ended up in Minnesota. And yeah. that's a whole other wild story. But it, a lot of people took care of me to get me where I am. And I, I'm obviously very fortunate for that. It's amazing how all that stuff happens. Not to <laughs> bore you with a little bit of my story, but it, I just couldn't help think when you start talking about a storm. So I've been here doing the Cardinals since 2002. I've been at ESPN since 2003. And that like my, my second year there, I was just at the time doing like some, a little bit of college basketball. I wasn't doing college football or NBA. I was just doing a little bit of college basketball. I did the great outdoor games, which was dog jumping. I did the <laughs> sausage eating contest. And I remember it was a Saturday in February, and I'm sitting at home because I'd only at that point was doing like 15 games a year or something. I get a phone call. Hey, Brad Nessler is stuck in a storm, and he can't get to Lawrence, Kansas you're in Arizona. The weather's fine. You're not working. Can you get on a plane, go do the Saturday primetime game with Dick Vitale? 
And I'm thinking, first of all, wow. yes, uh, who's playing? <laughs> who's playing? I got to prep in three hours. I got to get on a plane and get there. And, yeah. you know, the rest kind of is history. It helped me in terms of like they hear you with Dick Vitale. They think you can do the job and you get a chance. It's just crazy how that stuff oh, yeah. works. Um, so I can relate a little bit to Absolutely. your story and the rest is history. Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned Norv, Minnesota, and now here uh, in, in Arizona after another stint in Cleveland. So if I put on Norv Turner's tape from 2013 and watch yeah. his offense and then watch the Cardinals this year, how similar would they look? Uh, I'm, I mean, I think to some extent there's similarities in a lot of football schemes, so I think you'd recognize some of that. But I wouldn't say you're going to say, hey, it's identical. The language is the same. The, the, the formations are the same. Who they're highlighting is the same. Um, you know, kind of what I've hit on since I've been here is a lot of it's built around, especially when you see on Sunday, is going to be built around who's healthy and who's playing at a high level. And certainly those players in Cleveland in 2013, positionally and emphasis-wise, may be different than what we have here in Arizona uh, this year. So I think that part of it is going to be different. But I think certainly his influence on me is heavy. And the scheme and the system and the way he coached, the way he related to players and the way he thought about attacking a defense is a big part of my DNA. So I think that will always be with me in my coaching career. I had Colt McCoy on last week. And one of the things Colt mentioned is where his his foot is positioned in this offense is different than what he's ever done. I think he said it was always his right foot was forward, left foot back, mm -hmm. and now it's reversed. Mm -hmm. And he said that's something Drew believes in, and so I want to do what he says. Yep. And as a layperson, you hear that and you're like, well, why, why is that such a big deal? Why does that matter? <laughs> so tell me why yeah. that's a big deal. Yep, and, and a lot of that and my belief in that came from Alex Van Pelt in Cleveland. So he came up on that as a player – obviously played in this league for a long time at a high level and then has coached at a very high level. Uh, and, you know, as the quarterback coach in Cleveland, I leaned heavily on him last year. Uh, that was my first year doing it, and that was something he was adamant about. So me, honestly, walking into it a year ago, I didn't have like a has to be this way, had to be that way. I've been around both. You know, I'd seen guys right foot forward. I've seen guys in balanced stances. I've seen guys left foot forward. Um, but I think the big thing about coaching is when, you, when someone gives you something or you're asked to coach something, you have to dive in and dissect it. And so that was a big part of my job last year prior to going into a meeting room was like, all right, this is the way we're coaching it. Why are we coaching it? Does it make sense? How can I sell it and make sure that, that, it, that it's sound? And I think during that process, it really solidified my belief in that footwork. Uh, why it matters is because everything the quarterback does from throwing to decision making is tied to their feet. Um, you know, we'll talk about progressions. It's one to two to three to four. Um, and if it's a three-step concept or a five-step concept or a seven-step concept, how and quickly and when you move on in those progressions is immediately tied to your feet. Like, we'll tell guys, like, hey, if you've taken that many hitches, you should be out of the pocket. The ball should be out of your hand. Like, either no one's open and I didn't give you a good play or you weren't rhythmed up with everything else happening on the field. And I think you build that timing and that feel with your feet during practice, because a lot of things obviously in practice are on air, and there's that, okay, this is when the ball should be here, there's when it should be there, here's when you should move on. And then in the game, because it's not going to be perfectly clean, that timing element allows you to go react and play at a high level. You're not going to sit and wait for something when you've gotten too far into your drop or you've moved on too quickly. I can easily say, like, hey, that was coming open, but you took three step instead of five, and that's why you moved past something that was about to come open because you thought you were late. And I think that's what he's committed to and a lot of guys in this room are committed to. Not that it's different with someone who's coaching that with their right foot forward. They're just teaching it off at different timing and rhythm. And this is one that I believe pretty strongly in just because I think it puts you in balance and in time with the routes that we want to throw.
we're going to see a lot more huddling than we saw in previous years. Why do you believe in the huddle? Uh, I think, again, getting everybody on the same page, allowing us to move guys around in the formation. So if we have a guy that's really dynamic and we always put him in one place and, and I'm a good defense coordinator, I think it becomes at times easy to defend that player. But if every time we break the huddle, that guy could be left, right, inside, outside, on the move, and it's not obvious based on when we approach the line of scrimmage, I think you create that indecision for a defensive play caller. Like, hey, i got to eliminate this guy, but how do I do that if I don't know where he's going to be? And then if he starts there and doesn't stay there, is that another added component to what they have to defend. So I think that's a big benefit of it. I think certainly the communication piece of it is huge. Like, hey, get everybody on the same page. Use the snap count to our advantage. And I think a lot of that can happen in the huddle. And I'll also say there will be plenty of times where we are at the line, whether it's no huddle, tempo, calling at the line. Like, you have to be able to do all those things, I think, in this league to be difficult to defend. This is the first time you've called plays in regular season games, right? You did yes. not at any point call plays in Cleveland. Correct. How do you practice for that other than just doing it here, knowing that you know when the game's going, you got to be thinking ahead, you got to be looking at your call sheet, you got to be trying to match wits with the other team's uh, defense and their court. You know, if you got really smart players, you got a veteran defense, or you have a young D coordinator. I assume all that stuff is going through your mind. Absolutely. So how do you prepare for that? Uh, it's a, you know it's a big task. I think I was very fortunate uh, in Cleveland the last two years was given the opportunity during preseason to have a little bit of experience doing that, which I think puts you in that mindset. Um, and then I think the other thing is I've watched people do it. Like I've been on the headset for you know almost 10, 11 years now with some guys who have done it at a really high level. And you pick their brains. Like, they were awesome and open to me about, like, hey, what are you thinking here? Why are you calling this? Like, after the fact. And, like, just to give me some tips and tools so that when I go to do it myself, I feel like I can lean on some of that teaching. And then I think the last component, and maybe the most important component because it's with these players, is I think we've done a great job of managing some of those call-it periods in practice where it's like, hey, it's not scripted. Like, hey, there's four minutes in the third quarter. We know about how many plays we want everyone to get. Like, let's just go play football. And in that case, obviously, I know the defense I'm going against and the defensive coordinator. So we're just, hey, we're doing a little bit of that as not live bullets, but it's, you know, as close as you can get. And then after the fact, you got to be honest and evaluate. How did we do? Where can we be better? Talking to Nick and JG, and they talked to me about, hey, did this work? Was this hard? What do we do here? So I think you try to get as many different variations of that as you can so that when it is live, you feel comfortable and confident that you know what you're doing. Will you be up in the booth or will you be downstairs? Uh, I think I'm going to try both. I, I okay. think it's it was interesting. As a young coach, I was always up. And so in my mind, when I got the job as a coordinator, I was like, I'm going to call it up. And then the two years I had the opportunity in Cleveland, I was a tight end coach and a quarterback coach, so I was on the field. So I had to call it from the field because that's where I was prior to having – because it was just a little bit in the middle of a game. And I really enjoyed doing it there a lot more than I thought. So I think that's going to be something to work through here during training camp. My guess would be – do one up or down and kind of flip-flop during preseason to feel where I'm more comfortable, see where our communication as a staff is better, see where my communication with the players is better, and then move forward in that way. A couple more. We'll get you out of here. How challenging is it to shape your offense with Colt knowing that Kyler is so different, that when Kyler comes back, obviously, if he's healthy, he's the quarterback. So the challenges of trying to to navigate all that. Yeah, I think a little bit of it was aided by we kind of went through a similar process last year in Cleveland with Jacoby and Deshaun, um, where you kind of knew the guy was coming back, but he wasn't going to be able to start, so you had to tailor it to somebody else. And they were both new. They'd never been in the system. They'd never used the footwork that we're, we were mm -hmm. talking about earlier. Um, and then I think another component of it is, at the end of the day, the biggest part of what we did was a language. There's a, Generally speaking, a playbook, 99% of playbooks in the, in the NFL are big enough to adapt to who they have. 
But getting everybody on the same page, getting the language. And Colt, no, like, hey, at the end of the day, this offense is going to be built around Kyler's strengths. But we're certainly going to be able to go play and tailor it to what you do and best and what you like by the time Sunday rolls around. So it is a balance, but I think both those guys understand that and, and realize the nuance of that as we've gone through it. A lot of guys on the staff came from Philly, obviously, including the head coach. I think about Jalen Hurts. He has exceeded expectations and I remember doing his games at Alabama when he was a quarterback. I remember doing his games at Alabama when he was a running back and then doing his games at Oklahoma as a quarterback where he's a Heisman candidate. And while Philly seemed to do whatever they could to fit his skill set, he also did whatever he could to mesh with what they were trying to do. So, Because you hear that question a lot. It, sometimes the question is asked as if it's one or the other. How do you view that in terms of what you're going to do for Kyler and what he needs to do for you? I think that balance is exactly what you just stated. I think obviously they did an unbelievable job of it in Philly these last two years, and, and his production and performance has been impressive. Uh, so it's a great example of the ideal in terms of how that can happen. Um, but, yeah, I think that's really important. I think certainly there are things that I think I can bring here that are going to help Kyler play the game at a, at a higher level. Obviously he's played it at a higher level, so some of that has to be tailored to what he's already done. And then I think he also has to buy in and has to embrace some of the things that we're saying, hey, the first time you do this, it's not going to be perfect because you haven't done it 100 times. But here's why we're asking you to do it. Here's the benefits of it. And if you work hard at it, you're going to be really good at it because he's obviously a very talented player and someone who's very competitive. And I think he's really embraced that challenge. It's been fun to watch, even in the limited role he can have now uh, with the injury. And I uh, would only expect that to continue. You're a little bit younger than Colt. Is this the first time you've coached a guy that's actually older than you? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think this – I mean, yeah, this probably is the first time um, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, you know what? I was in Cleveland when we signed Willis McGahey. <laughs> so I think, and, and he was a great guy to be around, but uh, he would have been the only other one. And I wasn't obviously the running back coach at that time. Sure. So this will be my first time standing up in front of a room where someone is older than me, which I'm, I do remind Colt of quite frequently. All right, last one, because Ron Wolfley, who I do the Cardinal games with, will be really upset if I don't ask you this, because he's all <laughs> excited about the huddle. And he's all excited about physicality at the line of scrimmage and running the ball. Absolutely. How much of an emphasis will that be for you? Uh, big. And I think, it, again, it's going to come down to who we're playing and who we got and how good we think we can be at it. If we think it's the best way to win the game, we're going to do it. If we look at the opponent and look at us and say, no, we need to throw it around the yard today, that's what we have to do. But I think you have to be able to be balanced enough to like, if you're not good at both, you can't make that decision. Yeah. So I think emphasizing that and putting an emphasis on that in the meeting room, on the field, at practice, uh, is really important. And generally, the offensive line loves those type of things, right? That's what those guys love to do. So we got a great group in there. Clayton and uh, Chris Cook do a great job with those guys. So uh, it's been fun to watch, and I know those guys are juiced to get the pads on today. Well, it's been great, uh, Drew, getting a chance to meet you and talk with you. I look forward to watching you this year. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, as you can tell, Drew is pretty confident and is really smart, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. In general, just being at practice and at training camp for the last week, this is a coaching staff that's building something, and each guy that I've been able to communicate with is really impressive. We'll start to see it unfold on the field here soon when the Cardinals open preseason play. But it was great to talk with Drew Petzing. A lot of great stories, including... Uh, how he got the job with the Cleveland Browns and how he got a start 
in the NFL and a decade later now calling plays for the Arizona Cardinals. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can tell us what you think, review us, rate us on your podcast platform. You can also check us out on Twitter for the latest updates at PashPod. Our thanks again to Cardinals offensive coordinator Drew Petzing, and thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.